All right, good morning, everybody. Um, we're going to just get straight into uh, Isaiah 61, which is uh, a lot of things, but maybe first and foremost, when it is the mission statement of Jesus. So when he began his ministry, as recorded in the Gospels, uh, specifically Luke chapter 4, so many of you would know that he was baptized in the Jordan, he went off into the wilderness, he fasted, and at the tail end of that, uh, he returned, the Bible says, in the spirit and power, or with the spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, and um, when he went back, the first recording of anything that he did in ministry that we have is he goes into a synagogue and he reads this text. And then he says to a very uh, surprised audience that this day, this text, which is a messianic prophecy, the Christ that is to come, says this day this text is fulfilled in your ears. And the response was uh, wanting to stone and kill him for, for the blasphemous words that they thought he just spoke. But the, the significant thing for you and me about this text is that this saying that this text is fulfilled this day in your ears means that whatever he had just read is the essence of what he is about, was at that time, about to do. It encapsulates the ministry, the heartbeat, the purpose of Jesus. Now, why is that significant? As you said earlier this morning, Jesus has not changed. The Bible says he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I know there's a lot of theological strands that think that something happened after Jesus ascended into heaven and all of a sudden we've got a different ministry and that everything has changed. Actually, not the case. The ministry that Jesus is about now through the church on the earth by a spirit dwelling inside of people who believe in him, that ministry has not changed. What am I getting at here? What we're about to read, the scripture here, which is, uh, we'll get there with our projector systems, pardon the... The, the teething phase. This scripture back here that we're about to read, this speaks of Jesus' heart towards you and me. This speaks of Jesus' heart through you and me to the city that we live in. Detroit, I'll throw in Warren if you want me to, and White Lake and some of these others that I've heard this morning. We'll throw that in there as well. But definitely to Detroit. This is his heart through you and me to, to people. And, uh, and what we're going to get into over the next few minutes, I hope, is, is to open your eyes to the, re the real Jesus, how he really is. So let's read it. Isaiah 61, the first four verses. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The gospel is simply a word that means good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. Pause there and just say that I think a lot of people look at Christianity. I don't even like to use that word because it sounds like a religion. It sounds like this moral code. A lot of people look at this Jesus Christianity church thing as like this restrictive, I can't do this, this, and this, that everybody knows that we really would like to do. I want to go get drunk this weekend, and I want to go you know, sleep around and have fun at partying up. It's just a bunch of systems of do's and don'ts. Here, according to Scripture, it says that what Jesus does is liberates us from captivity. Well, that sounds like good. I actually want to be a part of that. To proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound to comfort all that mourn, to appoint to them. 
that mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified, and they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities, the desolations of many generations. And so I'm going to read a sentence to you here. It might be a little bit long, uh, and I'm going to read it twice to kind of encapsulate this whole idea of these four verses that we just read. Are you ready? As we believe Jesus' good news, you know, preaching the gospel to to the poor, the good news, the idea is if news goes out, if a message comes to you, it's only good in so much as somebody believes what they're hearing, right? As we believe the good news, he will transform our poverty, our poverty, I'm not talking just about economics here, the place of weakness, the place of need, the place of depravity, the place where we are desperate, He will transform that space into the very thing that he later uses us to repair waste cities. And I don't want to like overdo this because we've heard it over and over and over in Detroit. It's almost like low-lying fruit. But Detroit, 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 Detroit is certainly something that has been known as having a lot of wastes. And I believe that God is more interested than redeveloping real estate, he is interested in repairing humans, hearts, human beings, his precious sons and daughters. So let's, let's finish the sentence. As we believe Jesus' good news, he will transform what is our poverty into the very thing that repairs the city. And how does he do this according to the scripture? By healing our brokenness, the brokenness of our hearts, by <clears throat> liberating us or freeing us from captivity, and then from setting us into the place that he has appointed us to. Implied there is that he actually has a place appointed for you. A calling. You're not random. You're not just like happened and maybe you'll be able to eck out your way. He has a place for you. And so let's look into this. We're going to go backwards, actually, starting at the bottom This fourth verse, they shall build the old ways. They shall raise up the former desolations. They shall repair the waste cities. I love the idea that they shall do this. So automatically, no, we're not talking just about Jesus. We're talking about some plural group of people. Well, who is they? If you go back to the first verse, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The idea is the progression of what the gospel does, what God does in the hearts of people who were once known as poor. Again, that's not just what's in your pocketbook. That's human depravity, need. And and, uh, truth be told, I feel that way often. Even following Jesus, I feel that way often because this world is going to make us feel poor. And we like to cover it up and we like to mask it and we like to pretend that it's not there. We like to put on our best foot forward and we put our best foot forward in front of people and we even do the same to God and we have a whole bunch of prayer lists but we don't come to that place of God, I actually need you. 
Who is they? It's those who finally bowed their knee and admitted that. They shall rebuild the wastes. It's not even just that your waste gets rebuilt. He has a plan to build you so that you can go out and be used by him to build the waste cities. That is why we're here. We're not here to be in this like kind of, I don't know, exposed brick kind of hippish looking room so that we can take a box and say we went to church on Sunday. If it doesn't result in lives being transformed so that lives transformed go out and transform lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, we're not doing what we're called to do. So they shall rebuild the waste places. God transforms what makes us poor into what makes us a rebuilder. So I'll just give you an example to bring it down to practicality and to be uber vulnerable as uh, we often are around here. So when I became a Christian, I was born in a Christian home, and I don't mean to disrespect that, that home, but I, from my understanding, was not a Christian in the sense of what the Bible talks about being Christian, in that I had never actually met Jesus. I'd never placed my faith in Jesus for the first 17 years of my life. As a senior in high school, I had that experience. I'll share a little bit about it in a few minutes. I had an experience, and when I... Gave my earnestly gave my life to the Lord. I remember praying those words, Lord, I give my life into your hands. I remember saying that to him and meaning it with everything in me. Not knowing what that was going to ultimately mean, but I meant it in that moment. I trusted him, and something happened inside of me, a spiritual reformation that I've had a difference in my life ever since. And that difference has been knowing him with me. Knowing him. It's been knowing him. That's really the difference. But when I prayed that prayer, you know what? I was addicted to pornography. Because as a, as a nine-year-old, having a four-year-older brother who was 13, and he had a stash of pornographic magazines, and I got a hold of that in the typical American summer where you, your parents are both working and you can do whatever you want. And I got a hold of that, and that began a, a habit that I didn't know was wrong, Nothing, my parents didn't, it was just natural. This is what boys do. An addiction, a daily habitual addiction that was just like breaking off of drugs. I sincerely gave my heart to Jesus, but as I began to follow this Jesus, do you know what happened? I felt worse and worse about this thing that used to actually make me feel better, good. It was, it was a, a cheap thing. And, uh, and over time, I began to realize that this thing, not that God hates me because I have this pornography addiction, he wants to free me, but I need to partner with him and allow him to come in and do it. And eventually, over time, and I, I, I won't go through all the details, but I, I, in, in my pursuit of him, in my pursuit of being liberated from that captivity, I had another encounter with God where he began to download into my spirit an understanding of what his idea of sexuality was. And once I saw, because I had never seen anything other than porn. That was like my whole idea of sexuality. It's purely physical and that. And then I began to get an idea of, of God, God's idea of love within a marriage context and that women are his daughters and that, that they're precious and that they're not sex objects in his mind. And as I began to grab a hold of that idea, I had another way of looking at women that I never had before that I eventually was able to displace this wrong way of looking at the opposite sex with God's intention. Does that make sense? Over time, I went through a struggle 
of being freed from what I found was actually a bondage, on the backside of being freed from that was many, many other men, not so much women as of yet, but many, many other men who had the same addiction, I was able to help them repairing way cities what once was my poverty. And it's not like, you know, that once was my poverty and now you also can be like me. Perfect. (laughs) I've got poverty today. And I've begun to catch on to the fact that these things that if we won't hide, if we won't try to protect, if we won't hide behind the fig leaves like Adam and Eve did and I don't need anything and we're good and you can just stay over there, but say, actually, I need you. That place of poverty that wants to threaten and intimidate and make you feel ruined is actually the thing that he says I'm most comfortable in that zone. Yes. That is, my, that is, my, that is my, my favorite, he says. My favorite is the cross. My favorite is absolute human despair. When it is totally hopeless. He died on a cross. We saw him with our own eyes buried in the ground. This thing that we've been following for three years and giving our lives to, it's done. He is a specialist in bringing life and victory out of that. It's just what he does. So this repairing the waste cities, some of you would like to like, have that be a part of your life, being a repairer of waste cities. Thanks, Rebecca. I know there's some others in here. I'm not, I'm not going to be the cheesy youth group leader saying, so like, I didn't hear you, but come on. You want to be a repairer of waste cities. I know you do. Built on that whole concept, according to this journey that we just saw, if you go in reverse, verse 4, being a, re- a builder of old waste and raising up former desolations, that is built on the foundation of being appointed. Now, as we go through this progression, I don't want you to feel like you've got to go through the sequence and I'm not ready to be a repair of way cities because I need to first get healed and then liberated and then appointed to my place. Am I saying that you have to go through that step in order to do it or is it more like you do all of it at the same time? And the answer is yes. (laughs) he, He does bring you through the sequence. He will heal you and liberate you and set you into place and, and then you'll be the who you are called to be. But at the same time, the day you receive Jesus, you begin to become a rebuilder right then. Does that make sense? So it's both and. Not either or, but a point. What does that even look like? Let's talk about that for a minute. It's it, the original word that is translated into our English as a point is, just simply means to be set into place. And specifically, it would refer to, for example, when the uh, priests of the Old Testament the, were set or ordained as priests into their office, or if a candlestick in the temple, the place of worship in the Old Testament, when it was set into place, exact same Hebrew word used there. It's, the idea is you are appointed, you're set into your place in his house, in his mission, in what he's doing. It's, it's wonderful. God has a special call and a purpose for you, now, how does this even happen? How do we get set into a place? How do we do this? I'll just, I'll, 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 here's what we believe, is that being set into your place has to do with identity. And while we all have common identity as believers in Jesus, as we place, in faith, our, place our faith in him, there's unique identity that he gives to each one of you. And being set in your place is about identity, and you find out your identity as you discover his identity. 
So you becoming appointed or setting into your place has to do with the discovery of your identity and that discovery of identity isn't like, by, you don't arrive at that by saying, God, who am I? Show me who I am. What do you want me to do? You know what it is? It's Jesus, what are you saying? Jesus, I want to know you. As you see him, as you know him, in turn, you begin to see who you are in him. So if you don't believe me, let's look at Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. I love this passage of scripture. It says, uh, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, that he asked some of his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? I love that. He's kind of asking what the talk around town is. What are people saying about me? Who do they think I am? Verse 14, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now pause there, don't you agree with me? For people to be saying that of Jesus, and they didn't know the end of the story, we hadn't seen the death and his resurrection yet, they didn't really know, they were just following some miracle worker, to say that somebody is Elijah or Jeremiah, reincarnated, that's not a, 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 a small thing to say, Right? That's a pretty lofty idea to say this Jesus is a prophet who has died, come back. That's a big thing, right? But then he goes, okay, boys, that's good. Who do you say that I am? So let's not talk about what they're saying. Let's bring it down home. Who do you think I am? And the implication there is this, lo- this lofty idea that I am one of the prophets reincarnated is actually still falling short. And actually to understand who he really is, is to, is to see something about Jesus that was a little dangerous to see. A little, in that day, blasphemous. It was crazy. And Peter stands up. I love Peter. He's like this brash, outspoken, can't hold him back. He's going to say it. He's probably the The others were kind of thinking, well, he might be the son of God, but I don't know. And then Peter's like, you are the Christ the Son of God. Now, the thing is, the Jews weren't looking for a son. They were looking for a, a Messiah, a leader. And the idea they had was that he was going to politically, militarily deliver them from their captives. And here is this guy wearing these robes and, and doing miracles, and he's doing nothing political. And he says, you are the Christ. That's a big thing. The Son of the living God. That was not anticipated by the Jews. How did he know this? There was nothing in the Old Testament that was leading young Jewish men to to look for somebody to be God's son. And Jesus' response was, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John. Flesh and blood, in other words, a person has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. You have had a divine revelation of who I am. And so it is down to this very day. It still is the case. And when I was 17 years old, no one told me the information about who Jesus was. I had a divine revelation from the Spirit of God. I, the eyes of my heart were opened and I saw Jesus, at least a portion of who he was, and I said yes to that. And so it is still to this day. Jesus still wants to be revealed to you. He says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to me, but my Father in heaven, and I say to you, what are we talking about? Identity, being appointed. How do we find our appointing? We, we, we discover who we are. How do we discover who we are? We discover who Jesus is. 
Peter had just confessed who Jesus was. I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The gates of hell will not, cannot prevail against it. He spoke over Peter destiny, calling. This is who you are, my boy. You're no longer Simon, the son of John. You're what you just said. I am the son of God. You are, you are Peter. You are Peter, meaning a, a piece of a stone. And upon this rock being the big stone, I will build my church. Well, what stone are we talking about? The revelation that Peter just had. You have received a revelation of who I am, and now because you had that dwelling inside of you, I'm going to build my church on your revelation. And, and not only that, but that revelation, because it is a revelation of me, it is me in you, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it because I have authority over hell. He spoke some massive destiny over Peter. Am I right? Massive destiny is perceived in the heart of a person when they are able to declare massive revelation, something that's a little dangerous about Jesus. Now, we're trying to concoct our own idea of what's, what, what can I say about Jesus that would be dangerous. No, that's not how it works. It's having the open heart to not just hear what some other person thinks he is. It's to see from him who he really is. And that comes from intimate relationship with an open heart. So you become who you are by recognizing who he is and following him. It's as simple as that. So appointing, being appointed, really being appointed into your place, I have yet to find somebody who's really found their God-given destiny and inheritance, their purpose in life, in calling, who hasn't walked through a bit of liberating from captivity who hasn't been delivered from some things of this world and been freed and seen some victories where there had been defeat in their life because it's on the premise of what you learn from him as you walk the journey, just like me with lust and, and pornography addiction. I learned so much about who Jesus was by following him through that addiction into freedom. I don't just have theory about him. I know he's a deliverer. I've seen it. I know a bit of how it works. I can give some tips to other people about how this thing works with Jesus because I've walked that path. Not theory to me. And because of that, that sets you up not only to be delivered, but to come into your inheritance, your place, your, your appointment. So let's talk about deliverance, shall we? Now here's where it gets real. A lot of people like to confess something about Jesus. They like to be a churchgoer. They like to say stuff about Jesus but actually relating to him based on who he is, following him through the liberation. That's another story. Why? Because it involves trust. It involves faith. It involves opening up your heart and allowing him into that place where you have pain, where you have hurt, where you're believing a lie, and that lie seems like it's protecting you and it seems more comfortable than believing truth, and you don't want to be challenged and you want to stay as you are, you just want to remain there comfortable. Jesus, you can be like my Lord, and, but I'm going to stay in this little cage over here and just be protected, and I'll go to church on Sunday, and I'll pray, and I'll read my Bible, but like, I don't want to let you into this place. And it's, it's allowing that vulnerable place where he touches that place of weakness, where you aren't really proud and where you don't know how to find freedom. It's in that place that you really discover Jesus and his power. 
when you confess your powerlessness. And uh, so revelation of, of God, it's how do we get freed? It's actually hearing Him. It's actually relationship with Him. It's actually walking a journey where you're hearing Him and you're leaning on Him and, and, and wanting to, to get wisdom from Him. That's, that's where you find it. So let me just, that's where you find the victory. So let me just explain for, back in that lust example that I shared earlier. It was when I was on a uh, one night, sophomore in college, lying in bed, frustrated with my, my, my lack of breakthrough with what was in, I was doing a lot better, but I was still struggling. And I remember just praying to God, God, I've got to have breakthrough. I've got to have deliverance. And uh, it was in that moment that that idea of God's idea of sexuality just filled my, my heart. And, um, and I oftentimes say, it was the next morning I woke up and everything was perfect. No, I woke up and I still had a battle. There were still temptations. The, the ha- habits were still there, but you know what the difference was? I had something in my spiritual arsenal, a weapon with which to fight for the first time in my life. Before, all I had was, I'm horrible, I'm sorry, I repent, I, I what? But now I had another way of looking at the lie of lust to believe the truth of love and purity. And I had the ability to pull that out of my arsenal in the moment of temptation and fight it. And as I fought, I fell down sometimes. I got back up. I kept on fighting, fell down another time, got back up. And over a period of months, I turned around after a while and said, I'm free. I mean, I can still be tempted, but I'm not, I'm not in the cage anymore. It doesn't control me. It doesn't own me anymore. I rule it. It doesn't rule me. It's under my feet. And let me tell you when, you, when you see that actually work, there is something of a gratitude towards Jesus that you will never know but by following him. But how did that breakthrough happen? It happened by hearing his voice to my spirit. I hope that makes sense. It was relational. He unveiled something to me. Truth about sexuality when I was confessing my absolute depravity and need. is when I was recognizing, Lord, I'm poor. Do you know what I mean by that? I'm, I need your help. That's when he met me in that place and began to give me something to, with which to fight. And it's using that thing to fight. What are some cages? I would say fear could be a cage. And let's not just think about theory. Let's you and me think right now, what are some cages? perhaps that the Lord would want to liberate us from in, in terms of captivity. Because even though I've found freedom there, and I've found freedom from other things, there's still more freedom to be had. And it's only good in so much as we are willing to recognize it. So what are some of our cages? I would say just to give it, get our minds around some of this, some of it would be fear. Crippling fear. Over and over and over in the Scriptures, God says to His people, do not fear, do not fear, do not fear. And how many of you and I fear every day and have actions and thoughts rooted in fear? Fear. Poor self-image. Living in past hurts. Crippling people. Upsetting people's relationships because they can't relate properly. Why? It's because of some hurt from some relationship 20 years ago. 
living in past hurts, unforgiveness, insecurity, poverty mindsets, pornography and sexual addiction, drug abuse and addiction. Cages appear attractive, oddly enough. When we're in our cage, we actually become familiar with our cage. We get cozy in our cage, and Jesus is unrelenting in shaking that cage and making us feel uncomfortable. And we want to say, Jesus, just stop rattling my cage. I'm going to be okay. You're still going to be Jesus and my God. Just let me have my cage. And Jesus is unrelenting in saying, I won't let you stay in your cage. You can stay in your cage for the rest of your life, but I'm not going to stop rattling it. I'm going to shake it until you get so upset that you're going to say, okay, Jesus, lead me out of this cage. And you're going to turn around one day and look at that cage and say, that thing is disgusting. Why did I ever want to make my bed there? It's disgusting. And you, when you taste the, the superior goodness of what is in, in store for you just outside of the cage that displaces. I want to say pornography met some kind of cheap sensation on a very superficial level. Love and purity, sexual purity is fulfilling. I would 10 times rather have that than the cheap alternative. You follow what I'm saying? What is your cage? Just know this. It may scare you to think of following Jesus out of that cage. Let me assure you, there is something so much more fulfilling outside of that cage. You just don't know about it yet. Because it only is found after a leap of faith. So healing comes, uh, excuse me, knowing him, hearing and believing liberates us. I just want to read this scripture. John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Jesus says this, that Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide, which means to live in, my word, my not just not only the scripture, the verbatim scripture, my revelation, my communication to you. Yes, through the Bible, through the word, and directly through the spirit of God. If you abide in my communication with you, don't just hear it and know that it's lofty and say, okay, thanks for the word, God. I'm going to go back in the cage. I'll be in here. If you abide in my word, which isn't in the cage, it's outside the cage, then you shall know the truth you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Truth makes you free. Truth is relational. Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the truth, the life. Truth is relational. It's a person. You hear truth, just like you hear my voice right now, and you'll, we'll be talking when this meeting is done and we'll be hearing and relating to one another and hearing hearts and hearing thoughts we hear Jesus's communication to us that abiding in that makes us free but freedom from captivity where did our uh, where did our Isaiah 61 passage go sir John David freedom from captivity is premised on healing of the heart now, I'm skimming over all of this stuff, and it's actually difficult for me to do because all of these things you could go so much deeper into. I'm just wanting to give us a, the full picture of the big aerial photo of Jesus' heart and his ministry liberating from captivity. Actually, even before that, the first thing, the most important, the premier thing of Jesus is the healing of the heart. 
Because the scripture says that life flows, the issues of life flow from our heart. And so much in Christianity, we just try to perform with our exterior, our outward appearance, tick boxes, do these things, and God starts on the inside and works out. And it actually begins in your heart. Poverty begins in your heart. Fear begins in your heart. Lust begins in your heart. Are you following? And to touch all of these things that we think that we need to get right in order for Jesus to be happy with us, it's not like that. It's actually just allowing him to touch and heal that place of your heart, and then the behavior will change. He wants to intimately go into that secret place of your heart. It's all in that place. And heal that place. And here's the reality. Our hearts have brokenness. Now, some of us, I don't know, some of us, especially guys, perhaps, we're like, oh, our heart, our heart's fine. I don't want anything wrong with my heart. And, and it's easy to be in a place where you, where you think you don't. And the, and, the, and the reason that we so easily think that we don't have anything wrong with our heart, you know what it is? It's because we live in this world and we're comparing ourselves to what we see around us. But when we see true healing, we begin to realize, actually, I do live in fear. Actually, I do feel bad about myself. Actually, I'm not sure about my future. Actually, there's all sorts of areas of healing that God wants to bring. So what are some areas of brokenness that could come upon us? Parental abuse can cause brokenness in the heart. Sexual abuse, just being lied to. There's so much in, in that, the feeling of disrespect, the feeling of being dishonored the feeling of not being able to trust other people just from being lied to, being stolen from, being disrespected, neglect, perhaps neglect from your parents, neglect from friends, an unstable home environment, poverty again, disease, addiction, all this world has evil in it. Since the fall, the world has had evil. And yes, just like Louis Armstrong told us that, you know, I think to myself, what a wonderful world. And it is wonderful. There are wonderful views, but there's also evil. And that evil breaks parts of our hearts. Right now, there is, there is rape happening right now. Right now, there are children being sold into slavery, sex slavery, right now, breaking a child's heart. And on a far, and maybe you think, oh, that's like a really bad thing. Nothing like that has happened to me. Anything evil in this world touches our heart, it brings brokenness. God wants to heal it. Yeah. How does that actually happen? And it may sound so simple, it's God's perfect love. Relating, having a relationship with this Jesus, not just knowing that he died on a cross, knowing him, the one who died on the cross. Would you agree with me if he died on a cross on my behalf, he probably likes me? He actually probably is quite fond of me. Well, it's nice to know that information, but it's a whole other thing when you agree to knowing him, the one who loves me. And as I know him, experiencing something of that love. You may say, how does that happen? Like, do I pray a prayer and then I just like experience this love? Well, kind of. You can know him and experience him and relate to him relationally just on every bit as much as you can another human being and receive and have a give and take in that relationship every bit as you can another human being. 
receive love. And the Bible says this, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's love. And when we repent and we place our faith in Jesus, Romans 3 verses up says this, God, uh, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. He pours out his Holy Spirit and he heals the heart. And so what is the healing of the heart premised on? Bind up the brokenhearted. You may see at the very top in gold, the gospel, the good news, the gospel to the poor. The reality is the reality that God is declaring good news into the earth. Good news. Not to those people out there, not to those poor people. Declaring good news to all of humanity. And the good news is this, is that since the fall, since sin entered into humankind, separated man from God, from this wonderful relationship of love, since that happened, God, rather than condemning man, rather than pushing him aside, he came up with a plan to rescue us. He has come to rescue us. And, and when that sin required a punishment, it required some kind of something being done to make it right, God has said, instead of you being punished, I'm going to take the punishment on, on your behalf. I'm going to become one of you, a human, and I'm going to have that wrath, that, that punishment poured out on me so that if you believe in Jesus, and by the way, belief does not mean just to give mental assent to believing some facts and things about Jesus. If you place your trust in Jesus, if you place your confidence, your faith in Jesus, you will never perish, the Bible says, but you have everlasting life. He will come and live inside of you. This is real. That is good news. It simply begins with gospel to the poor. And if you'll, uh, I could just ask you as we're kind of closing, closing the message, maybe if you could just close your eyes for a minute.